Today's book is a beautiful collection of paintings that tell the story of frogs flying on lily pads. In 1992, it won the Caldecott Medal, which is like the Oscars, but for picture books. So during their ceremony, way fewer people get punched in the face. This is Tuesday by David Wisner. And this is The Book Pile, a comedy podcast about the best of books and the worst of books. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and the only award I've ever received was for a snake-shaped cake that I made as a Cub Scout, where I won the scariest cake ribbon, but only because first, second, and third place had already been taken. After that, we all know that the people in charge just then make up categories for the rest of us. Also, side note, if dads make the Pinewood Derby cars and moms make the cakes, don't you think that then the Cub Scouts are just puppets through which adults find yet another way to reconfigure communal status structures? Anyway, my co-host David Vance is off this week, but back next week when we will discuss the novel Jaws. Yes, Jaws, unlike Transformers, was a book before it was a movie. So, Today's a solo episode, but at the end of all my hilarious takes on today's book, I'll still be including several minutes of previously unreleased audio from a couple past episodes, bonus conversations between me and Dave. So if you're a fan of exclusively Dave, feel free to skip ahead to the timestamp of 16 minutes and three seconds. And once again, to be clear, Dave is still 100% a part of the podcast just 50% of the time. He'll be back every other week. And on those off weeks between Dave, I have some exciting new guests already scheduled to join me. Now, as usual, feel free to subscribe to the podcast so you don't have to manually download each episode every week. And here's a fun hint. Even if you don't listen every week, it still really helps us if you subscribe anyway. Now, our latest five-star review comes from Nick Alyss, and if you're wondering why I pronounce it that way, it's because he threw in a hyphen halfway through his name, and I'm not sure how to sound those out. Nick sideways line Alyss. Anyway, he writes, seriously funny banter that makes you feel smarter. Well, here's a quick fun fact, Nicholas. You are smarter for listening to our banter. He continues, I'll miss hearing Dave as often, but I'm glad he wants to recapture the joy of this art form. Well, thanks. I'm sure Dave appreciates hearing those words and also hearing that what we do is art. But I'll take it. Thanks again, Nick. Now, if you want to see me live, actually, first of all, thanks to everyone who's come out to a show recently. I had a fun string of shows through Minnesota and Wisconsin last week, met several book pile fans some of whom traveled hours to see me. For example, shout out to Emily and Jacob, who came out to St. Paul. They drove about three hours to the show, and I'm aggressively rounding up to that number. Also, they may or may not have been primarily there to see a Twins game, but either way, I know that I became the most memorable part of their day. 
And here's where I'll be next. West Jordan, Utah. I'll be at Wise Guys Comedy Club this week, July 21st to the 22nd. Often that first show Friday actually is the best show of the week. So grab those tickets while you can. Uh, I'm going to be in Ramona, California, August 12th. Uh, and then Pleasanton, California, announcing a new show, October 13th. And then, of course, Des Moines, Iowa, December 9th through the 10th. Let's sell those shows out before Labor Day. Go to KellenErskine.com for all those tickets. Now, this book, Tuesday. So there's this paradox of children's books, to me, where the best picture books, I think, are just as appealing to adults as they are to children. So are they still children's books, or are they just legitimately good books with pictures? I think it's sort of like how animation initially somehow established itself as only a genre for children. That's my theory as to why The Simpsons seemed so shocking when it first came out. Like, I wasn't allowed to watch it as a kid because it was a cartoon where characters said the word hell. But I was still allowed to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. The point is, Tuesday isn't just a book that I love because I grew up with it, because I didn't. My sister gave it to me when I was 19, and it became an immediate favorite of mine. It's a fun, well-crafted, innovative, cinematic book full of interesting visuals and artfully executed story beats. So, without further ado, here are two lessons that I took from Tuesday. Lesson one, show me something I've never seen before. So Stephen King's approach to storytelling is to combine two unrelated ideas into a new what if. For example, Carrie was, what if a bullied high school student developed telekinesis? The Shining was, what if your husband started losing his mind, but you were trapped in a haunted hotel? It, <laughs> it isn't really a new combination because it's pretty much, what if a clown was scary? <laughs> so in this book, Tuesday, the whole premise is, what if one Tuesday night frogs discovered they could fly on their lily pads? And what follows is a story told completely visually, other than the occasional timestamp, the various situations that frogs find themselves in with their newfound powers, chasing birds, exploring houses, literally getting clotheslined. Also, I think if Stephen King were involved with this story... It would have been more like, what if frogs could land their lily pads on your face while you slept? Anyway, it's just a delight. There's a simple narrative, beginning, middle, and end. And even though it's wordless, you still spend your time on each page because it's just ridiculous, but so well done. By the way, I'd love to know David Wisner's process, and I do understand that I might be mispronouncing his name. David? A couple episodes ago, I interviewed Ethan Nicole, author of Bears Want to Kill You, and I asked him this question that I always have of, how do you narrow down your ideas to the single one that you decide you're then going to spend months slash years on for this next book project? So with Wiser in this book, I love to think that he brainstormed like I do, and that like somewhere he has a framed list of that IHOP napkin that has just little word combinations like otters driving dump trucks, elephants addicted to Wordle, 
dogs playing poker, and that one's crossed out because he remembered it's been done before. And then there's the one that just says flying frogs, and it's got like deep circles etched around it in crayon because those are the only writing instruments available at IHOP. All right, so now I'm going to play a game with you listeners. I'm going to mention a movie, and we'll see if you and I come up with the same scene, the same visual that we had never seen before that movie. For example, when I say up, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Maybe both of us, you and I, are thinking of a house with 10,000 helium balloons tied to the top. All right, isn't this fun? I'm very lonely right now. So for Inception, are you thinking of yours? By the way, the easy part of the game is that it should just be the first thing that comes to your mind. Like for me, with Inception. And there's a lot to choose from just in this movie. Christopher Nolan does this a lot in every movie, I think, showing you things you've never seen. Like a guy in forward time fighting a guy who's in reverse time. Or a Batman with a curiously increasingly raspy voice. Anyway, for Inception, it's probably the guys fighting on the walls and ceiling. For Jurassic Park, again, a lot to choose from. But the part that has stuck out to me since I was 11 was that T-Rex attacking an 11-year-old in a Jeep. First Mission Impossible movie. Tom Cruise hanging by a string in a white vault. Back to the Future. Lightning strikes. The DeLorean streaks off into the future, leaving flaming tire treads behind. Just like how I imagine it looks when the light turns green when I'm on my way to Jack in the Box before it closes. And if you live in a state or a country that doesn't have jack-in-the-box, just know that they sell a couple of delicious, greasy tacos that are worth driving 88 miles an hour to get them. Anyway, my takeaway is, uh, whatever you're doing, whether it's a kid's book, a movie, a PowerPoint, see if you can show us something that we have never seen before. I even try and do this with my jokes. One of my jokes that still does well on social media that I recorded several years ago contains a visual of closing a Baskin-Robbins with a bike lock. I also have a newer joke that I'm working on right now about organ donation that you'll have to see if you come see me live at any of my upcoming shows. And actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, uh, the joke is it sounds a lot worse than it is a lot more graphic, the whole organ donation thing. I promise it's not. Nobody's fainting during my shows. All right, lesson two, rely on visuals. And I know I sound like a hypocrite saying this on an audio podcast, but stay with me. I just, I love it when people say, I'm a visual learner, because it's like, yeah, I'm a human too. Like, none of us were closing our eyes when we were learning to walk. Can you imagine that? Like, just tell me how to do it with words. I'm better with verbal instructions. So just like Pixar back when they were good, this book is a master class on visual storytelling. And Wisner does it so cinematically. It's like he's a director of photography. Almost like this book is a storyboard for a movie. He creatively places a camera before every shot. Except in his case, every shot is a beautiful watercolor painting. Sometimes the POV is inches above a pond. Other times we're a hundred feet above the ground. There's even a brilliant moment towards the end where we see above and below the water at the same time as a frog comes crashing down. By the way, I hate the way that 
POV is used in social media captions, literally the letters, it's a hundred percent unnecessary because someone will just have like a shot of the ocean and the text will read POV, you're at the beach with your besties. How about no, you're at the beach with your besties. Just tell us that. I'm at the beach with my besties. We already know that it's your point of view. That's what a camera is. You're just bragging, but starting it with the letters POV. I wouldn't be surprised if half the influencers out there who use it are just like, I don't know what POV means, but everyone else is using it. Anyway... Tuesday to me is truly a work of art because so much of great art is up to interpretation. And there just isn't a lot of that in children's literature, much less in picture books. Like no one is writing their college thesis on the deeper layer under the Berenstein Bears and too much birthday. But in Tuesday, though, we do get a simple storyline There's fun to be had in imagining the bookends of the story. Like, how did this all start? Are they curious, or is this like a collective mission? Are they all just on mushrooms? So many questions. Uh, Will will this continue in the future? And and this last one I asked, because when I read it with my six-year-old yesterday, he was looking at one of the last pictures of a frog who was back on the surface of this pond looking bored and perhaps even tapping his fingers impatiently. And so we can only guess what's going through his mind. I mean, the author could have at least written, POV, you can't wait to fly again. Anyway, I'd love to hear your suggestions for other books that rely primarily on great visuals rather than words. Uh, A couple of my other favorite books that do this are Rain by Peter Spear. Again, probably pronouncing that incorrectly. Uh, Another one is Ben's Dream by Chris Van Allsburg. He's the author of The Polar Express and Jumanji. And honestly, I also kind of wish that Where the Wild Things Are didn't have words. Maybe it would have scared me less as a child because I wouldn't have known that it was about a kid who threatened to eat people and then had a nightmare about monsters that lasted over a year. All right, random facts. All right, I just have a couple of these. And then, as promised, we'll move on to the pre-recorded bonus conversation with Dave. So, Wisner has also won the Caldecott Medal for two other books. One of them is called The Three Pigs, and it's fantastic. If you haven't read it, without giving away too much, it essentially takes the three pigs out of the matrix of picture books. He employs several different art styles. It's just incredible. Also, it's better than the last three Matrix movies. It's funny to me, too, that the Caldecott Award is given to illustrated books, like books where the illustrator has taken hundreds of hours of their time to carefully draw and paint and perfect these illustrations. And then when they win the award, this big golden Caldecott sticker just gets slapped on the front of the book, like covering a good 12% of the illustrator's hard work. (laughs) And my last random fact, as I mentioned earlier, my sister Stacy gave me this book for Christmas when I was 19, which was in 2001, and that year Christmas fell on a Tuesday. All right, now here are a couple of random conversations with me and Dave. 
Harry Potter and the Cursed Child or whatever. Have you actually read that play? No, I've just seen it. Because to me, that book, air quotes, could also be called a cash grab. (laughs) Because that's all they did was take the play (laughs) and they made it seem like the eighth Harry Potter book. Like how many, how many people were just immediately disappointed after waiting in line to open the book <laughs> and have it say, fade in. My favorite part of seeing that one is that, do you know that song Hide and Seek by Imogene Heap? Uh-huh. <laughs> There's a line from that song just in the middle of the play. I didn't know till that moment that she did the music for the play. And she just inserts her most famous pop song from the (laughs) mid-2000s into Harry Potter world. (laughs) Like, you're just going about your business in Harry Potter land, and then the biggest muggle song sings trains and soaring machines, and you're like, what the... (laughs) I really wish that the play had just told me, hey, now I'm an (laughs) all-star. Oh man, I, I I was hoping that it would have been one of those frequent Harry Potter eavesdropping moments where he peeks around the corner <laughs> and he's like, mm, "What you say?" <laughs> but he does it in a seven-part harmony of himself. <laughs> That's a cool fact. Two random facts are that I just learned. One of them, I didn't know that she wrote the music for that play, and the second one being uh, that. I think I've been mispronouncing her name for the last 19 years. <laughs> Have you been saying it like Imogen? I thought it was I- Imogene Hap. No, I thought it was Imogen. <laughs> oh, I mean, you might be right. I just call her Mrs. Heap. <laughs> Without becoming like a political prisoner or something like that, what do you think is the saddest place you can move? Well, I think the general answer is back to your hometown. <laughs> but let's even the playing field. Let's say you will have the same amount of money, you'll have access to food, etc. What is just the saddest place that you have to like look at every day? <laughs> I'm going to say uh, Wendover, Nevada. It's the uh, it borders Utah and it's just like it's a high dead desert and then there's a casino there's no agriculture <laughs> there is no other industry so every time i have driven through that place i just think man everyone who lives in this town they're working at that casino oh yeah maybe they all made their money winning at poker over the <laughs> newcomers who roll through town I think my saddest place you could live, keeping everything else in your life the same, there's that one famous island that became really valuable because it had all these phosphate buildups because it was covered in centuries of bird poop. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's just where birds, I guess, poop on their migratory voyages and it just built up and never washed off. (laughs) That seems like a bummer place to put your desk. Oh, I'm also going to add, as extra credit, that elephant graveyard from The Lion King. (laughs) 
All right. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Come back next week where Dave and I will talk about Jaws. And to recap today's lessons. One, show me something I've never seen before. Two, rely on visuals. And three, POV, your podcast is over, but you can't think of a great last joke. (laughs) 